The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Before I begin the sermon, I just wanted to let you know I stand here with a grateful heart. And I want to say to each and every one of you, thank you. And to this beautiful community of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. My name is Michael Pappas, and for the past 15 years, I've been blessed to serve as the Executive Director of the San Francisco Interfaith Council. This community is no stranger to either me or to the council. Uh, and I have known so many of your ministers uh, who have served here faithfully and, and, and with great devotion. And I want to say thank you to you also for hosting for almost 34 years, the Interfaith Winter Shelter, which is the core mission and ministry of the Interfaith Council. I'd also like to say thank you to Vanessa Rush Southern, your beautiful and gifted senior minister, who not only is yours, but you share her with the council. She is the chairman of our board, and she is a colleague and a friend, and someone who has really contributed greatly to the interfaith life and the civic life of our community. Now, with all of this said, um, I, and at the risk of compromising the decorum of this beautiful and historic sanctuary, for those who would indulge me for a moment, would you mind rising? I want to remember this day. <laughs> My kids taught me how to take selfies. So I would ask if you feel comfortable taking the hand of the person next to you or just reaching up into the heavens and let's immortalize this moment together with a selfie. We did it. <laughs> You'll be immortalized on Facebook. No disclaimers. The one thing I wanted to ask, too, because I always felt like worship should be engaging. And I'm going to, the theme, you're, you're going to hear a refrain over and over and over in this sermon. I will return to decorum. Um, and that refrain is, a people without vision shall perish. Okay? A people without vision shall perish. And I'm just going to point to you when I say, and a people without vision shall if you can help me with the sermon, I'll know that we're together and it will make the experience, at least for me, a better one and hopefully for you. Okay, a return to decorum. <laughs> a people without vision shall? These profound words from the 29th chapter 
of the book of Proverbs in the Hebrew sacred text brought to a close this morning's readings. I intentionally chose them as the central theme of this morning's sermon because they are prophetically critical in these uncertain times and in this complex place. Just a week ago today, as both individuals and as a community of people, we rang in a new year with all of its rituals. I would submit that this annual rite of bidding farewell to the year past and greeting the new year with all of its hopes and possibilities is never experienced quite the same by any two people. On the one end of the spectrum, there are those who cannot imagine celebrating New Year's unless they are surrounded by the masses, popping champagne corks at midnight and partying until dawn. These are those who diligently plan for the event in advance and engage others to join them in their revelry. On the other end of the spectrum are those who, for their own valid reasons, are alone, often in bed by nine, and elect not to subscribe to the pressures of societal norms. For many in this camp, the passage of yet another year is but a grim reminder that our finite existence on this earth is marching closer to an end. In between these polar opposites is every nuance imaginable. The only thing I suspect they all have in common, if only subconsciously, is a haunting obligation to make some sort of personal New Year's resolution, no matter how quickly it might be abandoned, to enrich their personal and spiritual lives, their relationships, and the community in which they live. For in the back of their minds, at some level, either they hold those convictions or fear that, as the proverb warns, a people without vision shall What is daunting about making New Year's resolutions for the year 2023 is that for almost three years, the very context and foundation of our thinking and being has been upended. We're not sure, but we believe that we've weathered the worst of a a once-in-a-century global pandemic, a shocking crisis that has frightened us, catalyzed us to grieve loss of both loved ones and the masses in ways unimaginable, forced us into isolation, which for many has led to depression, ripped the scab off broad and deep wounds, exposing long-standing economic, racial, gender, and generational divisions that have plagued society far longer than this pandemic. The have seemingly able to endure, the have-nots forced to, if not falling off, the precipice of their very existence. At the beginning of COVID, we witnessed firsthand the great divide of just who had access to personal protective equipment, testing, services, then vaccines and needed care. In the frenetic daily progression of this disease, we saw existing political division expand and the interpretation of critical news mirror that great divide. 
In our own city of San Francisco, the restaurants we once loved shuttered. Our bustling and vibrant tourism, tech sector, transit, real estate, cultural, and social life became a shadow of their prior selves. Their demise had a domino effect. Their revenue loss, a relied-upon tax base, profoundly devastated the philanthropic efforts of our city's cadre of nonprofits, those on the front lines providing essential services for San Francisco's most vulnerable residents. Three years later, as we suffered COVID fatigue, wishing it would all just go away, people we know are still testing positive. What's worse, as much as we long, at some level, we realize that we cannot return to the life we once knew, the comfort and the security we once held as normal. Yes, it is on this cheery note, and with this stark reminder of the personal and collective trauma that we've endured, that in January 2023, we are being called to make New Year's resolutions for ourselves, how we will engage with those around us, and the greater society. It is on this cheery note, and with this stark reminder of the personal and collective trauma that we have endured, that we are haunted by that proverb, a people without vision shall How, we might ask ourselves, can we make such resolutions? Where do we even start? Some are muttering under their breath, at this point, I can barely take care of myself. How am I expected to care for others, no less the greater society? To that, I would remind you that you are good Unitarian Universalists. You possess a rich interfaith spirituality that you need to harness at this critical time. In this very sanctuary, just now, we sung together at the top of our lungs that treasured interfaith anthem, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Having myself been reared in the Orthodox Christian faith, I'm reminded of a similar calling by a Russian saint, Seraphim of Sarov, who wisely asserted, acquire the spirit of peace and a multitude around you shall be saved. In a recent San Francisco Chronicle op-ed, commentator Keith Humphreys summed up the unique libertarian individualistic spirit of San Franciscans this way. Since at least the 19th century, Americans have come to San Francisco to be free of traditional constraints back east, to reinvent themselves, to escape the small-mindedness of small towns, and to find themselves. This culture underlies the city's entrepreneurialism, artistic energy, and tolerance for diversity in all forms. Foundationally, I think what Humphreys suggests is true, and if so, affirms that we San Franciscans could and should be heroes in the context of the proverb, as historically, our success as a city can be attributed to the fact that we are a people of vision. Why, then, do we seem to be stymied? More importantly, 
If allowed to persist, why will this uncharacteristic paralysis not only mar our reputation as a people and city of vision, but impede our ability to effectively innovate, set the agenda, meet the demands, and effectively contribute to a nation that secretly relies upon our ingenuity. As for the former, I would submit that we are stymied because this pandemic has understandably traumatized us on so many levels. We are a people in need of healing. We need to heal ourselves and care for one another. As people of faith, we are well positioned to do so. As fragile children of a higher and loving being, we're being called to come to terms with the trauma that we have endured. To do so, we will need to risk trusting. Trusting in that loving higher being, trusting in ourselves, that higher being's creation, and trusting in one another. In essence, as people of faith, fragile children of that higher and loving being, we must come to the realization that to be fully healed, we cannot shoulder such an immense burden alone. To this point, I am reminded of the Catholic theologian, Henry Nouwen, treasured little text. I remember from seminary, The Wounded Healer. In it, he asserts that the only thing in this life that all human beings have in common is our woundedness. Only when we are able to risk coming to terms with our woundedness can we enter into the mystery of true healing. Nowen goes on to suggest that once acquired, the depths of the realization of our woundedness may be empathetically conveyed to others wrestling with their woundedness, and that this conveyance has the effect of catalyzing that same mystery of healing in those who suffer with and around us. Thus, we hearken back to the lyrics of that profound interfaith anthem, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And Seraphim of Sarov's words, acquire the spirit of peace and a multitude around you shall be saved. In healing ourselves and those around us, we then possess the discernment and clarity to see beyond the legion of seemingly insurmountable personal and societal challenges that plague us and reclaim our vision, our greater vision. For remember, a people without vision shall? In the meditation offered earlier in the service, Mayor Lee painstakingly enumerated every wave of people whoever came to San Francisco and powerfully challenged us to be our better selves in welcoming the newcomer. In the course of that history, our city has experienced a series of booms and busts, adjusted and thrived by fearlessly recreating itself. In the course of these many iterations, we as San Franciscans have learned much about ourselves, grown in wisdom, and as a result, reached new plateaus with each new beginning, earning our reputation as leaders in innovation, 
creativity, and the promotion of cultural diversity and inclusivity. That visionary leadership is needed now more than ever. We know that we can heal. We know that we have it in us. What are we waiting for? Remember the proverb, a people without vision shall? Sadly, while we are waiting, short-sighted, self-serving, mean-spirited, governors, lawmakers, and judges around this country are distorting the very spirit of freedom and justice, creating, passing, and interpreting laws such that those they have been entrusted to serve and protect are no longer able to be safe or their authentic selves. Running roughshod in the name of a distorted sense of morality, these governors, legislators, and judges could care less about the spiritual, emotional, physical, and economic damage they are inflicting upon fragile souls. This we've witnessed firsthand in the sad cases of undocumented political asylees used as pawns being sent to cities like our own to score political points. The countless other souls of whom I speak, our fellow citizens, those whose liberties are in serious jeopardy simply because of their race, gender, sexual orientation, and desire to make decisions regarding the health and well-being of their own bodies, these will soon become spiritual migrants in search of a safe place of refuge. Mayor Lee's reflection so powerfully reminded us San Francisco has long been the destination of waves of such refugees. The question before us today is this. In that great tradition of our city, do we San Franciscans of this age possess the spiritual health, fortitude, conviction, and yes, vision to welcome them? And if not, why? For remember, a people without vision shall... Having already addressed the why and the how to bring spiritual healing <clears throat> to ourselves and those around us, we must now address the elephant in the room. The collective societal paralysis that is standing in the way of reclaiming our vision as a great city. As alluded to earlier, a not-so-small part of that paralysis can be attributed to the pandemic's revelation of our city's deep-seated systemic inequities, compounded by a myriad of other unaddressed and now emerging social failures. The perfect storm, whose impact hit so quickly and with such intense rage that it knocked the wind out of us and left us overwhelmed while leading the country in its public health response to the complexity of the COVID-19 pandemic, San Francisco found itself under the national media's microscope on every other issue, from the tech exodus to homelessness, from filthy and unsafe streets in the Tenderloin and other vulnerable neighborhoods to an emerging fentanyl epidemic, from skyrocketing real estate vacancies to the vandalism and looting of premium Union Square storefronts and everything in between. Once thought of to be the creme de la creme of cities, 
Now with a bruised ego, we find ourselves scrambling to respond, scrambling to make things right. We don't like being perceived as anything less but the best. So obsessed are we with our image and the prospect of overcoming seemingly insurmountable multitude of crises that we can no longer see the forest from the trees. But they are just that, crises. Some, by the very mention of the word crisis, shut down and regress to a catatonic state. Closer examination of the word, however, suggests quite a different possibility. The word crisis is derived from the Greek root krino, which means having to render a judgment, having to make a decision. Best understood, it's like arriving at a fork in the road and having to decide which path to take. Paralysis is staying at the fork in the road and not deciding. The real call of a crisis is simply to decide which path to take. In reality, a crisis presents possibilities and opportunities. In reality, crises offer us the occasion to reclaim our vision. I am a sailor, a real estate developer repurposing a religiously owned parcel for affordable housing in this very neighborhood in a recent presentation, kept referring to the project's obstacles and challenges and economic challenges as headwinds. As a sailor, I know that a tailwind increases the vessel's speed and reduces the time required to reach its destination, while a headwind has the opposite effect. Only after hearing his presentation and doing some research did I realize that the terms are also used metaphorically in business and elsewhere about circumstances where progress is made harder by a headwind or easier by a tailwind. Like that fork in the road, any seasoned sailor knows that trying to take on a headwind is akin to an exercise in futility. The next time I heard the presenter make this reference, my response was to advise him simply, adjust your sails and change course. Moving from paralysis to progress is really just as simple at that, as that. Mustering the fortitude and the courage to make that decision in the midst of a crisis, however, requires vision. For as the proverb teaches us, a people without vision shall... As an organization founded 34 years ago in response to the homeless crisis and the Loma Prieta earthquake, the San Francisco Interfaith Council knows that crises are opportunities for miracles to occur. They have a strange way of bringing people together to offer the best that's in their DNA. Our council knows firsthand the power of our prophetic voice and ability to mobilize at critical times. We are guided by the collective vision of our diverse religious and spiritual traditions to speak truth to power at those appointed moments and to act decisively when called upon to do so. At the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we rose to the occasion and became the city's primary liaison, providing San Francisco's 800 communities of faith and religious institutions with the timely and credible information needed to make informed decisions on behalf of those entrusted to their care. 
from this perch, I could see and was convinced that we would be called upon to play a critical role, not just in our city's response to the pandemic, but more importantly, in its recovery, as it forges the new and uncharted frontier of a new normal. Just as our communities of faith had the vision to so quickly and creatively adjust to new ways of worship and ministry, so too are they now called to harness all of the resources in their spiritual toolboxes to help navigate the faithful from isolation to connectivity, from fear and anxiety to a new place of trust, love, service, and relationship. This is our great calling at this profound hour. This is my New Year's prayer and, if you will, resolution as we sail into 2023. As people of faith, we are de facto people of vision. Let us then, with the help of that higher and loving being, discern the gift of that vision in ourselves. Let us abundantly inspire that vision in one another. Let us courageously and with conviction share that vision with the greater community. That in doing so, we as individuals may realize our full spiritual potential, know true healing and connectivity and love in our relationships with one another, and be effective instruments of creative and radical change in our quest for a more just and equitable society. Thank you, good people of vision. Happy New Year. Myself and the other worship associates were asked to reflect upon sacred texts that we have returned, through, uh, returned to throughout our lives. Um, when given this task, the problem for me personally uh, was that I was raised what could generously be called very secular. Uh, <laughs> sacred texts were not a huge part of my upbringing uh, at all, so I, I struggled a bit to find something uh, that prior to UUSF was a, a regular ritual in my life. Uh, and I eventually landed, uh, when I was young, prior to working as a comedian, I was involved heavily in the poetry slam and spoken word community. Um, it greatly changed the course of my life, uh, set me off on a journey to doing a lot of work on myself, um, a lot of the isms I had learned throughout growing up where I did, and in the way I did. Um, and I wanted to share with you excerpts from a poem that uh, means a lot to me. Uh, it's called The Ritual. I'm going to read approximately the last half of it. It is by a writer who, when I first met her, was living in Seattle and I was living in Minneapolis. Uh, but if you want to know more about her, her name is Denise Jolly and she actually lives here in San Francisco now. Uh, so here is an excerpt from The Ritual by Denise Jolly. If you have ever bled sunrise and called it relief, I have compiled a list of 10 truths I want you to know that I promise I am still trying to learn myself. One, you are better than a story about what not to do. Two, you are living in response to your upbringing, which means your children will live in response to how you raise them. 
What do you most want to teach them? Three, somewhere tonight there is a woman praying for you, wishing she were your mother. She knows you might hear her differently if she were. Do not shun her prayer. Let it crowbar your liquid shoulders. We all have rusted parts. Four, be more than a patina lawn decoration for the wealthy. Five, some of us have to choose new places to come from. Do not worry. You will not forget what came before that. It lives in the fearful cower you'll fight daily. Six, in the moments you forget someone loves you. Pretend that somewhere across the vast blue of your compulsion there are continents of optimist hearts. Seven, we humans do get what we ask for. Eight, please stop asking to be rewounded. You have yourself branded scars that will not disappear with the skin slack of old age. Nine, most days our bodies are temple wars. Honoring them wholly is as much a practice as breathing. 10. Get in the habit of affirming that you are holy with each breath. Brave words like loved and beautiful say, I am holy. My walls are that of a temple. I am sacred. Sacred does not mean pristine. I am beautiful. I am landslide and crater shake. I am human in all the faults that build me. I am loved. If this feels wrong or foreign, that is okay. Sail on the violence of its awkward, court it as your new addiction, and breathe. Thank you. Please join me in our next hymn, Let There Be Peace on Earth, which is Jill Jackson's prayer. Um, she said after this song was acclaimed worldwide, that the words came to her and literally saved her life. Um, the music was written by her husband, Cy Miller, and the copyright has been given freely, which so impresses me as a musician. So please rise as you can and join me in Let There Be Peace on Earth. 